This is a Just Gold podcast. Captured on the lands of the peoples of the Eastern Kulin Nation, we pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. In this episode of the Invisible Woman podcast, Kyriakos Gold speaks to Prudence Black, an academic at the University of Adelaide and the University of Sydney. Her research area in gender and cultural studies gives valuable insight into what it really means to have a criminal record and what she believes to be the next frontier in the fight for gender equality. We explore the conundrum of self-inflicted invisibility and what invisibility looks like from a range of different perspectives. I'm Prudence Black. I'm an academic. I'm a research associate at Adelaide University, but I'm also a research associate in the Department of Gender and Cultural Studies at Sydney University. So I work across two universities. I'm a cultural studies person, which means I can work across a broad number of areas. So I have a history looking at design and fashion, but I also look at women and work. I'm also on a research project around boys. Can I ask your thoughts? on gender and age equity. Our project looks at what happens to women over 50, but it's an arbitrary number, I think. Mm. Even if it comes up in research, I think that's just going lower and lower every day. What are your thoughts on, on that? Look, I think women are, are discriminated routinely on the basis of gender and age. And one of the things that I'm involved with is looking at female ex-offenders, and if you think there's discrimination, you know, based on age and gender there. It's like a time bomb when you add a criminal record to that, that demographic. So that's, that's a specific interest that I have there. Can we talk a bit more about that? Because you, you would think that if you were in crime, you'd be tough. Is that, is that a stereotype? Yeah, that's interesting that you say that a, an offender might be a tough person, but my experience would be exactly the opposite. In fact, the women, and I'm, I must admit that I'm only dealing with women in the work that I'm doing, they are invariably quite vulnerable, they, they lack confidence, they lack self-esteem, and this is one of the reasons I think that they end up in the criminal justice system through these, these kind of, well, they're not really qualities, are they? But there's certainly, there's, they certainly exhibit with those kind of characteristics. Within that space. What is that we do well and what is that that we can do better? One of the focuses that I'm looking at is, is ex-offenders and employment. And it's pretty diabolical what is happening out there for women who on release. The thing with women is on release, they actually come out with very little support. Men often come out and they have the support of their families. Women come out and they often lose that base. So they come out with very very little to help them and there are very few services that actually help women on release from corrective service centres. So one of the things that we're looking at is employment. I mean there's, there's a number of issues that really affect women and I would say homelessness and employment would be the two key things for women on release from prison. And what we're trying to do with the sort of work I do is actually try and work with employers to make them aware of what it means to have a criminal record. And here I think it's interesting because if you talk to 
a lot of employers, their, their knowledge of what a criminal record is. The interesting thing with employers is that, for well, a lot of employers, and I can't generalise, but I will a little bit, is that their idea of someone with a criminal record is it might be someone with a parking fine on one hand, but it might be a murder on the other. And they, they don't sort of necessary, necessarily distinguish between those two. So there's a kind of a cliched notion of a criminal record and it might encompass all those things and nothing in between. And this is actually a real issue for women, because, well, men as well, but women in particular, is there's a lack of understanding by most employers about what it means to have a criminal record. I mean, if you think about us, we would all have, you know, we've all done something illegal. So it's a very, what I'm trying to say, it's a very fine line. And if you think about women, most women who end up in prison might only serve a six month sentence, but that sentence hangs around for a very, very long time and it has a huge detriment on terms of their welfare across a number of areas. And of course, context of the crime as well, you know, why, why did you end up offending? You may have been defending yourself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, we know, so, we know about domestic violence, but I think one of the things that comes out in the research that I've been doing is that the women, for whatever reasons, often have low self-esteem and that impacts on the way they manage their lives and they often end up with people that are probably not the best sort of people that they should be hanging out with. And that kind of impacts, it's sort of like a the domino effect that you you, you feel unconfident, you, you, you latch on to someone who can, you know, offer you certain things, often it's drugs, and it's a sort of a slippery slope from that, that point onwards. So it's, but talking to anyone who has been in the criminal justice system, it, it is a very complex world that they're a part of. You know, we all have complex lives, but if you, if you talk to these women in particular, it is a very complex world that they've been, been a part of. And, and in some ways, I'm not making excuses, but you can see why, why things have happened and why things might have gone badly. You touched on my next question. We have been trying to work out at what point there is that switch that makes women from invincible and empowered and, and young and trying to build a life to invisibility and vulnerability. And we've heard some of our friends have said it may just be a gradual thing. For some, it's just an incident that happens in life. But what we heard yesterday in a consultation, and I wanted to hear your thoughts on it, is that some of the women we spoke to, they said that they've always felt invisible. They said that we were invisible as children, and then that created a cycle, and we feel invisible today. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, it's hard not to be personal in relation to that comment, but I, I mean, certainly that's not my experience. I think there's, there's different sorts of visibility for women. Certainly there's an invisibility in acknowledging your skills and your knowledge in, in the workplace. And you sort of, that, that's a sort of invisibility that happens as you're a young career person. But I think what happens when you get older, there's an invisibility, which is more physical invisibility, where as a young person, you, you are seen through your physical being. But I think once you reach a certain age, it's you, you really, you're not seen, which is kind of, incredible to imagine really that you're suddenly not there but it, it's, it is like suddenly you walk into a shop and you know there might be two young women on either side of you and you might be the first one in there but it's almost like you just disappear into a void so that's a really 
interestingly, but some women would also say, thank God, you know, having, you know, being preyed upon, you know, as a young person. And invisibility can be a wonderful thing too. I do think that sometimes being able to be a little bit more invisible gives you a kind of confidence because you're not being assessed by what you look like. You suddenly have to come through in a very different way. And I think it can be quite liberating. So it, it is very contradictory. And I think, you know, the experience of women is complex, just like the experience of men. You know, it's, it is very complex, but it's, it's when certain strands dominate that you really have to think quite differently about what is happening. So, and I think that's what your project's probably doing. In multicultural Australia, is the ageing experience of women the same? Yeah, I had an example the other day, actually, of a couple that I know, and one, one is of Asian origin. And she said that, you know, quite often they will go somewhere socially. Her partner will be always the one who gets, uh, you know, like, what do you want or what can I do for you? And it's, it is like she's invisible. And she said it's, it's you know, she's, she's actually more educated. She's more, you know, she's certainly more privileged than this, this other person in, in ways of, her, you know, her background. But, yeah, she just says that, that she is made to feel invisible in relation to standing alongside her, her partner. And it's, you know, it's very, it's very clear. When we were talking to Indigenous Australians, some of the themes that came up were, apart from domestic violence, that the trajectory of life is different. You become a grandma a lot earlier, for example. And also there's a path to becoming an elder, which comes with a lot of respect. And I was wondering where that path is gradual and it's, you get more and more and more and more respect or it just goes up and down and suddenly you become an elder. If you had any thoughts on that? I, look, I can't speak on behalf of, of Indigenous people, but certainly I've spent time with Aboriginal communities up in the Kimberley and, and there is a huge respect for the, for the elders. You know, that's, that's a source of, of knowledge. It's a source of passing on, on cultures, but it's, it's not also straightforward either. There's a huge responsibility often passed on elders through the, the younger the younger people who aren't coming through those traditional communities and have very different values. So it's, it is for, for the Indigenous elders in some communities, it's very difficult trying to keep the culture alive when there's a lot of other influences coming in at the, you know, the younger people's level. But I still think the idea of an Aboriginal elder having passing on the knowledge and passing on the culture is very, very strong in Indigenous communities and it's it, it's critical to them remaining, you know, healthy and, and functioning. Do we have similar examples in white communities that older women gain the respect that comes with age? I know, for example, in the Greek community that it comes a point that you become really respected. But there's a gap between youth and that point. There's a gap that you're invisible, but then you suddenly become the head of the family. What happens in Anglo communities in Australia? As soon as I became a grandmother, my son, I realised it was like the penny drop. Like, oh, now, and it, it was quite beautiful, you know, this idea that we came together because he suddenly realised all of those years of me telling him off and, you know, you know, certain sorts of behaviours, it suddenly came together, you know, that he, he understood what it meant to be a parent. And so certainly there was a new new form of respect there. But I think it's really that intergenerational, like I've lived with a, um, my father-in-law who was much, much older than us and 
And certainly I had to, you know, respect him in a way that at times I didn't feel that I should. So we, Australians had very different family lives, but I think certainly in relation to other cultures, I wouldn't say that we have that, that automatic respect for, for elderly people. Although I wonder if things will, will change now that more young people are living at home. You know, we had a dinner party the other day and of the six people at the table, three of the couples had children who still lived at home in their 30s. So this is a very, very different world we're living in. You know, my generation, we left home when we were 18, we're out of there. We never came back. So we're seeing a very different shift in, in families and family lives. And so you actually, the relationships are changing quite dramatically because of that. You know, the boyfriends and the girlfriends are moving in too. You have to all be polite, living together, even though you don't want to be polite. No, it's, it's, it's shifting. And this is the fabulous thing about our society. It's, it's totally fluid. And, and, it's, and it's changing. So to say that there are structures in place, there's certainly cultural traditions, but I think they're not as strong as, as what they, they might have once been. It's not just invisibility, it's about being loaded with assumptions. You know, people put assumptions on you when they see that you're a certain age. They, you know, you get characterised through your age. It's like, they, you know, they say young people, oh, what would they know about that? Well, actually young people know a lot about a lot of things. And it's the same thing about old people. Well, what would they know about technology? Or what, what would they know about this new world that's coming up? Well, once again, old people have a lot to offer. You know, they have an enormous amount to offer just through wealth of experience. Shall we talk about the elections? Do you think... Oh, my God, so exciting. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> Do you think that women consciously moved to... Uh, different way of thinking or did, was it just very organic or I know Yeah, I think this is the interesting thing is why did they take this moment to move? You know, why hasn't it happened a long time ago? You know, this, this, is, this is the thing for women always. Why hasn't it happened earlier? Doesn't matter what we talk about in relation to women. Why hasn't it happened earlier? Why hasn't it happened sooner? And the election was a, a case in point. Why didn't we have these strong, fabulous women coming forward and and we actually know it was because we had men blocking them you know and that that was the issue and it's really hard to get past particularly in you know two-party politics to push your way through if we want to be honest you know the liberal party fucked themselves because they didn't elect julie bishop they had a good female candidate and and they let her go you know so but but also, you've got to stop being cynical. Like, I know the Liberal Party had a think tank, and the think tank was designed to look at what do women want. And they found out in this think tank what women want is they want climate change. They want a world that will be safe for their children. They want a lot of things. But do you think they picked up on any of that? No, they thought it's time, but they didn't. They actually had a think tank called Blueprint yeah. that said that, and they didn't act on it. Yeah. It makes no sense. Yeah. I think the lack of regard for women in the Australian political system was kind of, it was, it, as I say, it's a long time coming. I mean, we saw it with Julia Gillard. We saw it with Julie Bishop. We saw the way they were, they were treated and the way they were kind of pushed to one side. So, th so there was a slow burn, but also I think the young women, of course, Brittany and Grace Taylor, you know, I think that mobilised something that we hadn't seen before because I think... It symbolised, those two women symbolised a lot of, of 
For a long time, women have kept quiet about things for fear of perse persecution, for fear of losing their jobs, for fear of upsetting the men that have, you know, abused them. And I think that actually open up, those two women open up a can of worms because they put themselves on the line. And I think a, a lot of the times women have not put themselves on the line in the way that those women did. And they were incredibly brave. And I think that sense of, of being brave really made the rest of us think, well, if they can do that, then we need to support them. And I think that's, that's what's creating this, this influx of women coming out and saying, actually, we're going to take these guys on. So a lot of the teal independents that were so successful were women of privilege. Or white, like fathers in politics or millionaire dads. Is that wave rep still representative of women around Australia or is it something else? So that, that sort of women in, in politics? Well, yeah, because they're all white women of privilege. That yeah, but you look at the seats that yeah. they, they got and, yeah. and it's kind of pretty par for the course. Yeah. You know? But if you look at the women across politics generally, you know, we have Jackie Lambie, you know, we have Linda Burney, we have the new women who've been represented in Parramatta. We, we do have diverse women across parliament. So I think that's, that's and that will increase. That's, that's not going to go away. And I, I think the, the teal women, they've staked their ground. They're going to have to work really hard because of those other political parties are going to work very hard to get those seats back. But women have a great capacity to work. They're very community-minded. They, they're smart. You know, they, they will know how to play the numbers as, as well as anyone else. So don't underestimate these women. They will be there to stay. What other parts in modern history, have we seen women be so committed to equality? Is this, is this the moment? Or have there been other moments like the 60s, for example? I think that the Civil Rights Act, when you suddenly couldn't discriminate on the basis of age, sex, race, that was a huge, huge moment, particularly for women, because they realised they couldn't be discriminated on the basis of their sex. And this was in workplaces and, you know, in particular, you know, my, my interests in, in the industrial relations history of female flight attendants, they mobilised around that time because they suddenly realised they weren't getting promotion. They didn't have the same opportunities. They didn't have the same salaries as men. They, and it was, it was just plain clear that they were being discriminated against. So, so there was no big deal about taking the airlines to court because the airlines were wrong. And I think once you know something is fundamentally wrong and illegal, you can have a lot of confidence in taking that forward. And even if you are a group of flight attendants in your 20s and you're taking on a major airline, it doesn't matter because you have a law behind you and it can just create all sorts of wonderful effects as it has in, in many workplaces. What's the next frontier for women? Do you know one of the things that really excited me about the recent election was the commitment to childcare, helping women out. You know, women want to work. You know, that's, that's just a basic. Women want to work. And the thing that probably holds them back more than anything is affordable and decent childcare. And I think once we sort out childcare, that's, that's what I would like to see more than anything 
decent, affordable childcare for anyone who wants it. And that will really change the workplace in particular for women. And that's, that's really, it's just gotta happen. That's what happens. Yeah. It's the caring that almost puts the brakes on your career. Is that what I'm, is that what I'm hearing from you? Yeah, I, th I think, you know, I always used to joke that, you know, I used to earn money to pay for childcare and takeaways on Friday nights. And it wasn't a joke. You know, that was where my money went, you know, and it was, it was kind of odd thinking all I'm doing is, you know, just chipping away. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't going anywhere. And I, I still think it's incredibly difficult for, for women and families to manage families. And families are so important. They're we, fundamental. They're, they're, they're what it's all about, you know. Families, yeah, they rule the world. We spoke to an MP, to a federal MP at the beginning of this project, and she said, when she was in Canberra, she's been an MP since the 70s, I think, and she said, I knew at all times, it was really powerful, I think she said, I knew at all times where, where my kids were, what they were eating and what they were wearing, but my male colleagues had no idea so she was literally doing yes. two full-time jobs. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think men men have got better, but it's only through guilt, you know. I don't think it's so, I don't think it's always totally genuine, but I think, yeah, and it's, you know, it's, well, and Parliament has got better. You know, they've made the sitting hours a bit more family-friendly, you know, because they have to. You have to support families. If you want economy to thrive, if you want a workforce to do well, you need to support families. And they're... They're a good economy. You know, families are a very good economy. Do you think menopause has to do anything with women's career progression? Or I don't, look, I can't really. I mean, I have experienced menopause, and I, I don't know what to say about other than you know I experienced menopause, and there were moments which were professionally incredibly awkward when you you know you get the sweat. I don't even know what they call, but you know I'd be standing talking to someone at a function or in a meeting and you would just pour with sweat and you, it, it was very hard to say well actually I'm menopausal you know what do you do and you try and sort of brush it away it is incredibly excruciating and fortunately you know I didn't experience it for a long period of time but it's but I do I do think gosh what 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 is it like for people in public life to to be menopausal and experience those sorts of physical things that are happening to your body, which you have no no control over or, at all. So, and it does. I guess, yeah. I mean, it doesn't look good, you know. Like excess of any sort can be a little bit abject, you know. So bodily fluids, you know, you, you're meant to you're meant to control them, and so here you have a condition where you have no control. I mean, you can probably have hormone therapy, but this this uncontrollable release of fluids is is abject. Maybe working from home is going to offer a safe space for for some. Because working from home you can control your environment. You can jump online via Teams. It may be an easier day not being at the office. I think the shift of working from home is going to have its own challenges. I know in America some time ago, there was just before COVID, there was a move to get people out of the offices and home because it was cheaper. And a lot of people put on an awful lot of weight 
which actually we saw in COVID as well. That, so this idea of people work, working from home, it's a cheap policy in a way, to, you know, people save money because they don't have to use their office spaces. And also that thing going back to the idea, oh, you can be more flexible in terms of, you know, your childcare or parenting arrangements. But it just means that you can pick up the kids, but it probably means at 12 o'clock at night, you've, you're doing the work you should have done then. So it's, so the idea of, of us working from home as a kind of a fairly standard measure, I think you really have to think carefully. And also, some people aren't safe at home. You know, we, we're, we're, we're assuming it at a, a home is like an office. Well, it's not. A home is a very dynamic space with lots of things happening in it, and you can't assume that it's a clean environment like an office. So I think this shift to working from home, it, it has its advantages, but it also means people get exploited. About this project, I was excited that I was going to be interviewed. I thought, well, what a great project that someone is actually taking this seriously with the aim of actually kind of making people understand what it is for women to experience the feeling of it being invisible. Because I think it's like a lot of things to do with women. People don't know. They don't, they don't know. Or, or there's that unconscious bias where they just they don't understand that they may be ignoring women you know in the room because they're just not aware that that's how women feel i think the other thing about women over 50 is they have to keep in the community it's really important you know you might think well they've had their turn and it's time for them to sort of let others come through but i think it's increasingly important for women in their 50s to stay working, to stay engaged with communities because it, it's important for their fundamental well-being. The Invisible Woman Project, funded by our Social Enterprises Impact Program, promotes awareness and actions for women and gender diverse people to age with dignity, security and safety. Find out more on justgoldwomen.net or on our socials at justgoldwomen. was a Just Gold podcast. Find out more about our social enterprise at justgold.net.